He didn't say the biggest difference between the two of us is I have more hair. <laughs> As Jamie said, I'm uh, Darius, one of the pastors at Antioch Community Church in Northeast Minneapolis. And uh, so we're going today look at um, the book of Psalms and uh, Psalm 67. Um, there are slides, so if you don't have a Bible, but if you need one, just raise your hand. I believe there's ushers around to give you a Bible. Um, before I get started, I'm going to pray again. I think Kenley might be Pentecostal. She talks a lot. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to share your word with your people. Lord, we ask that you, uh, as Jamie said, open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. Um, don't let us leave here the same way that we came. I ask you to decrease me and allow your anointing to flow through. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So uh, we're looking at Psalms 67 today. Uh, what is a psalm? A I mean, what is a psalm? A psalm is a hymn of praise to God. Uh, the book of Psalm was originally the hymn book for the people of Israel. Uh, the Psalms are a classic example of Hebrew poetry. Um, and a lot of the poetry has uh, some consistent parallel concepts and uh, contrasting ideas. Many of the Psalms are known as acrostic which is because some of the verses begin with the succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, there's about 100 psalms that identify their writer, and there uh, and well, 73 of those are David. He was a little controlling. And, <laughs> and 50 of those psalms do not identify their writer, but a lot of scholars believe that David wrote some of the unknown psalms as well just for because of their style and the way that uh, it is written. Uh, now, this is not about psalms. Has anyone seen the show or heard of the show Law and Order before? It's okay. Christians can watch Law and Order. It's fine. <laughs> so, what is some series of Law and Order? There are a couple. Somebody name me one. Just shout out a series, a version of Law and Order. See, he know the good one. <laughs> so SVU, what's another one? Organized crime. Yeah, I'm both to watch that yesterday. <laughs> and so it's SVU, organized crime. But no matter which one you watch or have seen, they all have something in common. The thing that they have in common is means, motive, and opportunity. They all are necessary to prove that a perp's guilty of a crime when they prosecuted him on trial. The prosecutor must prove the crime occurred because the perpetrator had the tools necessary to commit a crime, the actionable idea to commit the crime, and an unhindered chance at following through on their intentions. What does this have to do with Psalm 67? Okay. If we were prosecuted today for being Christians, would, be, would we be found guilty? Guilty of having a missional heart, one that wants to see God's way, God's gospel message of salvation, God's praise and glory extended to your community, to our city, and to the ends of the earth. In this sense, being guilty is a good thing. To be guilty of this mean we must seize every opportunity 
to spread the message of God's salvation and his glory. And we have to be intentional on that opportunity just as the psalmist. So how do we, the big question for us today is, how do we set the means, the motive, and the intentions of our hearts to be missional? Hopefully we'll answer that question and it's not law, any more law and order, but we'll see. Uh, so I'm going to read Psalm 67 and then we'll jump right in. Psalm 67, to the choir master with string instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, you, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So the first way that we see, I think that's me in my arm. Uh, the first way that we see how to set our hearts to be missional is through earnest prayer that acknowledges our dependence on God. And we see that in verse 1, we see the means of our, the means or the tool of the psalmist is earnest prayer. He says in the first half of verse 1, he said, God be merciful unto us and bless us. The psalmist starts off with these words. Uh, this is, he repeats a blessing from the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, where it was customary for the high priest to say this blessing upon the people of Israel. And he draws a connection for us to the blessing that we will receive by our high priest, which is Jesus. And the blessing of a prayer that Jesus actually said in John 17, when he says an exclusive prayer for those who will receive and keep his word. The psalmist first acknowledges that he says, bless us, as in this us is the people of Israel. He recognizes their need for mercy. This allows him to set his heart in the right place and acknowledge that they are sinners in need of mercy from a holy God. The psalmist does not stop there, though. He says, and bless us. The word bless means to make us prosper. The psalmist knows that they deserved destruction from God. Israel turned their back time and time again. They was like a cat that seen some shiny. They just followed after anything. And so he says, bless us. He said, we know we deserve, we deserve destruction, but please bless us. We trust that your love is stronger than our sins. We today deserve destruction for our sins before, this, before the throne of a holy and almighty judge. But through placing our faith in Jesus, he stands at the courtroom as our lawyer and say, I know they deserve it, but I am standing in the gap for them because I have paid the price. So instead of receiving judgment, we receive his mercy. And now because our faith is in Jesus, God sees his son and not our sin. And this allows us to say, Lord, bless us. And because of that love that he has for his children, he honors that request. So it leaves us to ask ourselves, do we 
honestly pray for the welfare and the prosperity of God's people. Because this here, he said, bless us, not me. He said, have mercy on us, not me. And so as disciples of Jesus, as a family, as we said during announcements, do we honestly pray for the welfare of each other? It is essential as the body of Christ that we be willing and glad to make supplication for all saints. Even if we put our own needs aside, we pray, bless us, Lord. The psalmist continues this prayer and says, and make his face shine upon us. To have God's face shine upon us should give us peace and happiness and comfort in any storm of life. Because we know because our faith is in Jesus, God doesn't see us. He sees his son. And he is happy to bless his son. He sees his son and he is glad and willing to hear our pleas. For this is a promise made to us, not because of we're so holy, because of Jesus' blood was good enough and holy enough. Jesus Christ is the one who allows us to ask God to make his face shine upon us. That should give our heart a greater source of peace and power to endure life's challenges. The psalmist ends this verse with the word Selah. The Eastern Bible Dictionary says that this word is used 74 times in 74 verses between Psalms 3 and Psalm 67. Most scholars speak of, that believe this word speaks of a reflective pause to think about the things that were said right before. Um, other scholars believe that it speaks of the word just means end. If we go by that in today's culture, it'll mean the, it'll be this, you can just say the same point blank period. That's uh, in today's culture, that means the words that I've just concluded does not need a response. So he said, all the words that I said was good enough to into God's ear. We don't, no one should even respond to that. The second way that we see how to set our hearts to be missional is by desiring the lost, know the life-changing way of God. He says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. In verse 2, the, Psalms, the psalmist gives us his motive behind asking for God's mercy and blessing for the people in God, in, uh, for people of God in verse 1. He said, it isn't simply, I don't want you to bless us simply so we can be wealthy, so we can prosper, so we can stand out amongst all the Gentile nations. But he wants God's glory to be seen and desires the multitude to be saved. It's the same desire that Jesus had when he looked upon the multitude in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 36 to 38 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord, that the, the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. We see here in verse two that the psalmist does not want simply people to hear or simply to know of God. He said, we want these people to know God's way. And we see that for believers, James tells us that it's not 
simple enough, it's not easy enough for us to know God's word. But James tells us we got to know it and live it. It cannot be one or the other. It must be both of them. His prayer shifts from a prayer of his people, the people of Israel, only to all people. He said he desires the conversion of Gentiles. He says in 67 and 2, he says, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations, all the nations or all the ethnies. This Hebrew word used here is gera, meaning a course of life. So he said he wants these Gentiles to know a course of way, a way of life, the life-changing way of Jesus. As we know as believers, following Christ is more than do's and don't. It's a way of life. And he says, way back before Jesus was the only thing, he said, I want them to know God's way, this way of life. The psalmist's heart's intent is that God be glorified and people be blessed through knowing his salvation. Yep. I'll keep going until they come back. <laughs> when you, I have five kids, so we go with the flow in my house. I barely remember any of their names, so you just name them one through five. <laughs> so, <laughs> the psalmist's heart is intent is to, that God be glorified and people be blessed by knowing the Lord's salvation, which reflects the heart of God. It's the heart of the Father. It was part of the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis. Child number two. He's working. Okay. It reflects the promise that he made to, in Genesis 22 and 18. He told Abraham that all people or all nations will be blessed through your generations, through your children, through your offspring. And it foreshadows the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus, seen in the Great Commission when Jesus tells his disciples to go and invite all people to discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus' command to his disciples was not just to go tell people that I lived and I died and didn't walk away. No, he said, I want you to teach them a way of living. He told his disciples to go to all nations and teach them the way of God, giving them the blessing that is salvation. One commentator says this about uh, Psalm 67 and 2 and the desired motives when asking for a blessing. He states, are you a member of the Bless Me Club? Always crying out to God, bless me, bless me, bless me. But your crying is essentially a selfish one. The kind of crying a self-interest child makes. Yes, we unashamedly ask God to bless us but not only for ourselves, but so his way will be made known in all the earth 
and his salvation among all nations. So we I've got to ask ourselves the question, why should we desire this? Yes, Jesus told us this, but it is a bigger reason. Do we always listen to everything that Jesus says? We know we're hard-headed, just like the people of Israel. But there is a bigger reason why. Well, Jesus is the biggest reason, but there is a reason why we should, know, we should desire this as well. It's because we personally know what it's like to be in darkness. None of us were born saved. Unless you got, you're the second coming, let me know. But none of us was born saved. We all experienced dark, been in darkness before. And Isaiah reminds us of this. Isaiah 9 and 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land uh, of the shadows of death, a light has dawned. Ephesians 2 and 12 reminds us, Remember that you were all... At, t- at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the coming wealth, the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Ephesians 5 and 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are a light in the, in the Lord. So we should desire this because we are chosen First Peter tells us that, that we are a chosen race, a priesthood that has been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if we have been called out of darkness, we should have that same compassion when we look at a broken world. The word compassion in Matthew, it means basically your bowels fall out. So it's a gut-riching pain. So when we see people in darkness and walking in their sins, we should have that desire, I want to pull them out of darkness into God's light because I once was there as well. It is our duty and it should be a pleasure to help people out of darkness and into God's light. And we don't do it on our own strength and of our own power. We do it under God's power and we do it with compassion. The third way we see how to set our hearts to be missional is by being thankful and filled with joy because of the work of God. The psalmist sings a song. The psalms is a song. We, we talked about that earlier. It's a song and a prayer. And he states in the first half of verse 3, let the peoples praise you. Now, when he say peoples in this first half, he uh, mean the word means a congregated unit, specifically the children of Israel. He said he wants the children of Israel to be joyful because he understands the blessing of knowing God is a work only that God can do. Israel did not call themselves out of slavery. Israel did not cross the Red Sea on their own. They didn't do it under their own power. So he said, Israel, be joyful. You should be thankful. You people praise God for what he has done. He alone can draw people unto himself. So he calls the people of God to be joyful for God has chosen them and saved them with his own hand and he would do the same thing for the nations. This work is only something he can do and something that he promised. 
We see in Isaiah 42 and 16, the Lord speaking, I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them unfamiliar, I will guide them on an unfamiliar path. I will return, I will turn darkness into light before them and rough places into level ground. These things I will do for them and I will not forsake them. Speaking of the people of Israel, but we're not left out. Romans 5 and 10 says, for if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his light? He says in the second half, he said, let all the people praise you. The psalmist here, he is not content, nor is he satisfied with only the people that know God praising him. He said, I want the whole world to praise you. You're that good. You're that great. You've been that merciful. The only, not only your children should praise you, but the whole nation should praise you. Because when they see your good works, the Bible says when the heathens or Gentiles see the good work of God through his people, it will cause them to praise him. And he desires that. There is no greater blessing than walking with the Lord and trusting in his, in what he says and praising his name for who he is and what he has done. Our darkest day with Jesus is better than our greatest day without him. But can we say that honestly? Can we say we have a heart like this psalmist or do we ignore people who don't look like us, talk like us and live where we live? Which was something that the early church had to wrestle with. We're not the only ones. The people that walk with Jesus had a hard time with this. Leading up to the book of, well, the verse nine, chapter nine of Acts. The whole context of the Bible was Jewish. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He, he taught in Jewish synagogues. He called the Jewish people to repent and turn away from God. Every once in a while, he might run into a non-Jew. Well, Samaritans are half Jews, so we can still say he was, but most of his ministry was to, to the Jewish people. Whether poor or rich, they were, they were Jewish people. And so, but... You get to Acts chapter 10, and there's a change. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. At the same time, a man named Cornelius has a vision. Cornelius is a Gentile, that he, but he worships God. He's following, trying to follow God as best as he can as a Gentile, not allowed to inside of synagogues. And so... But Peter has a vision and God tells Peter to go, go outside and have somebody waiting for you. And this man say, hey, I need you to come. And, but during Peter's vision, he, God puts out a plate of non-kosher food and he says, eat Peter. And Peter said, no, Lord, God forbid. I have never put anything unclean in my lips. And he says, what I call clean, let no man call unclean. And just then this guy come and say, hey, I want you to come give a word to some Gentiles. So Peter goes, he gives a word, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles just as it did at the day of Pentecost. So 
They're always tattletales everywhere. Somebody go back to the council of Jerusalem and say, Peter, hanging out with Gentiles. So he didn't have text message, so I don't know how fast he got the message, but he get the message. He has to go check in, and he know he's in trouble. It's like my kids. Like, I got a couple of them, like, when they're in trouble, they start to walk really slow. I'm like, just come. Come, child. I'm like, I have more devices in my body than you. you. I walk faster than you right now. Come on, please walk faster. And so he goes to the council of Jerusalem, and they basically say, what's up, Peter? We hear you're eating with Gentiles. You're hanging out with Gentiles. Like, what's the word? And Peter goes to give them this reporter saying, look, I was minding my own business, being very Jewish, and then I had this vision, and these Gentiles came, and God told me to go to them, but the Holy Spirit fell on them as I was preaching. And Peter says this, and uh, after he tells them the whole story, and he says this at the end of his story. He says in uh, Acts 11 and 17, he says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? I imagine after Peter saying this, he said, point blank, period. Nobody say anything else. <laughs> Mic drop. And so I just imagine that because what can you say then after that? You can't argue. But don't stone me. I like, I actually like the message Bible. Let me finish. <laughs> the way that verse 18, Acts 11 and 18, quotes their response. They say this, it says this, and it says in uh, 11 and 18, Acts 11 and 18, it says, there was no argument, only silence, circumcised believers. Well, then we must conclude that God has given to the outsiders the opportunity to rethink their lives and turn to God and gain a new life. What else can you say? Selah. The fourth way we see how to set our hearts to be missional is by having a heart ready for the coming kingdom of God. We see that in Psalms 67 verses 4 through 5. He says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. He says, let, he says, basically, let the nations sing a song of joy. Why should the nations be so happy? Because God is coming to judge the people righteously. And if we have done our job, he's going to govern the nations on earth and everyone should be glad. And he, he tells us our wait for this day should be filled with patience anxiousness, enthusiasm, and an urgency to bring the nations God's way and God's salvation and God's praise. Scripture reminds us of our duty under this time constraint because time is ticking. Just look at Jamie Hare. Time has ticked. 
So in James, James 5 and 8, he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming kingdom of the Lord is at hand. Galatians 6 and 10 tells us, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, not some, everyone, and especially to the family of faith. John 9 and 4 tells us the words of Jesus. We must work the works of him who has sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. I don't know about you, but I want that to be the outcry that I have done my job and I can stand with confidence and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. My heart is ready for the coming kingdom. When we can pray and hope and desire sincerely that all people know the way, we reflect the heart of God. We must have faith in the fact that Jesus is coming again and understand what is at risk for people who don't know him. Hell is real. No matter how many people don't think so, it's real. No matter how many fights and court procedures we have over the sanctity of life, Jesus is coming and he's going to judge everyone. But his heart's desire, Second Peter tells us that, is that all be saved. He does not want one to perish. So if the God of creation don't want anyone to perish, perish we should not have a desire in our heart for anyone to perish. And having a heart that's ready for the kingdom means you have a heart that's ready to do the work. God has a heart that has called people, that wants to call everyone to repentance. We see in Revelations that God says, I have a heart that wants to call all nations to worship me on the throne. When I sit at my throne, I have called all nations, all tribes, all people, all tongues. I want them to praise me at my throne. And he's worthy of that. So we must have a heart that's ready. And we can't have a heart that's ready for the coming kingdom if we don't have a desire to do the work. And Jesus said, there's work to be done. There's few people that have a heart to do it. The fifth way we see how to set our hearts to be missional is by fully trusting and being satisfied in God. We see that in the last few verses. The psalmist says that God's praise will yield its increase. When God's praise and God's glory is spread upon the whole earth, we will see the increase of that. It will bear its fruit at the appointed time. It just so happened we like to rush things. We like, we like microwave food. We like fast food. We, we sometimes want a fast food God. Like, it got to hurry up. But we should also be thankful because they give us more time to work on ourselves. But... It says that the praise of God, this, this is good news that 
that we have time. The good news for us is not to lose hope as we toil this broken world, spreading God's message and extending God's heart around us. We must endure and continue the work. And in doing so, we are blessed no matter what we go through. The blessing is in being with God. No matter the hardship, if we trust in him, we're going we're gonna to prevail through this because he wins. No matter who thinks so, God wins. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And James 5 and 7 tells us, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. But the farmer can't be patient and wait on fruit if he never buried it. He had to till the soil. He had to plant the seed. He had to wait for God to water it and give it the increase. But there was work for the farmer to do. The early church of believers had to endure hardships and persecutions that we don't have to, especially on this side of the planet. They had to learn how to find joy and satisfaction in Jesus while experiencing hardships. When knocked down, sometimes Paul, because he talks too much, literally, he's been stoned and he gets stoned in Acts 14. And it says, Acts 14 says that the believers, after he got stoned, they stood around him. He pops up and he goes back to work, goes back to ministering the gospel. It's like, but he had a heart to do it. He had a heart that wanted to praise God. He had a heart that was ready to extend the glory of God. A commentator says this about verse 7 in Psalm 67 and 7. Marie Psalms, it says, God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. One a commentator says this, God would get the respect, the honor, the praise, the glory he is worthy of. We may never receive respect. We may never face anything but hardships. We may end up poor, broken, persecuted and even lay down our lives and we will still be blessed because God has used us in his great work. Amen. So let us close with a couple of questions to think about. Where are we at in the story of God's missional work? And where do we want to be at the end of the story? As we said earlier, an end is coming. I like when I think about like us like wanting to have not having patience. I think of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes eight and eleven says about how when things are not speedily, man loses heart. But we cannot be in a, in so much of a rush that we that we lose our trust in God. We lose 
our hearts learn not to endure. Because an end is coming. It's just about where are we going to be at? The Bible talks about God using vessels for his glory and vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to get before God and hear, well done. But we got to ask ourselves, honestly, where am, I, where am I placing myself in God's story? Another question we got to think about is, have we stopped believing that God extends his mercy and gives blessings? Hardships come, and we're not in control of them. But Psalm 77 reminds us that it says, has God, get, has, is his devotion gone for his people? The Bible in Isaiah tells us that God longs to be gracious to his children. It tells us that he would not defer help. It's not always going to come how we think it's going to come. It's always not how we think it is not going to look like how we think it's going to look like. As Jamie said, we've been knowing each other for 12 years. When I first met Jamie, I was legally blind and in a wheelchair. I spent six years in a wheelchair. I currently have implants in both my eyes, which eventually I'll need a corneal transplant. And I have two implantable devices in my spine. Help did not come the way I thought it was going to come. It was six and, six and a half years of toiling and crying and praying. But spine surgeries after surgeries later, it wasn't the way that I thought it was going to happen. But my life is blessed with that more than it ever was without. I can stand and say that he used that for his good and for his work. Because I met doctors and nurses that I would never have met and got the witness, like, why is this dude so happy? <laughs> like, you can't walk. You're literally, your nerves take touch and pressure as pain. What people say, like, oh, my jacket is on me. It hurts. But how can you smile? Because God is good. Because he saved me from darkness. You don't know what life was like before this. It was dark, and I couldn't see my way out of it. I thought I wasn't going to live past 19 years old. But God had a plan. So we got we to believe that even if it doesn't come at the time that we want it, at the way that we want it, even if it's part of that blessing and that grace is painful, he still desires and longs to be gracious to us. And the blessed thing is that that's what the family of God is for. There's no religion like Christianity. Have you ever heard a song sung to Allah saying that you are so great and gracious? There's no other God is so, he is so tangible. He comforts us and he, he tells us 
to use that comfort that he's comforted us to comfort others. He is the God of all comfort. And the reason why he allows us to go through things is so that we can help someone else that doesn't have a faith in him. We can show them and minister to them that God is gracious. He longs to be gracious for you. He longs to pull you out of darkness. We said that about the early church. They relied on each other. At times they sold all that they had so no one can be without. So we have to say, yes, God is extending his mercies and his blessings to me, but it's probably through that brother or sister that I'm not returning their text messages or I'm not returning their phone call or I'm not coming because I know I'm going to run into them and they're going to ask me how was my week. <laughs> he uses his children sometimes to extend that grace and mercy. The final question we must ask ourselves is, well, two more. <laughs> number three. It's like my kids. I don't know. Number, some number. Have we stopped seeking to extend God's mercy and blessing to the world around us? And we extend God's grace and mercy. We share our testimonies, not for people who can say, oh my goodness, you did a good job. Oh my goodness, you're so great. Oh my goodness, you endured. But it's not that we get glory or that we be seen. It's so that people can see him clearly. What the Bible tells us, don't hide a light behind a bushel. Let that light shine. We all have a story. Maybe it's not as dramatic as someone else's, but if you did not give your life to Jesus, the wages of your sin was the spiritual death. Total separation from God. And that's just as dark as anything else. So don't think that your testimony has to be as dramatic as someone else's. You are walking a path towards darkness and share how God has pulled you out into the light. And what does my life look like now that I know Jesus than what it looked like before when I didn't know him? Because there should be a difference. If our lives look the same before we knew Jesus and after we knew Jesus, there's a problem. Number four, this is number four, then the final one. Have we stopped seeing God's heart in it all? It's easy to go through trials and tribulations and hardships, pandemics, mass, and think that, God, where are you in this? Like, do you, is your heart in, in the world anymore? Do you care anymore? But it is. The brokenness of this world causes awful things to occur. But God's heart and plan is for the renewal of it all. Don't think his heart is not in this world. Maybe he's calling you to be his heart for someone else. The kingdom of God is coming. And let us have be saying like I'm guilty Lord I want to stand before this world I want to stand before you and say I'm guilty of having the missional heart of God let us pray
Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your son, that you lived a sinless life. Lord, you died on the cross and you were risen with all power, Lord. Not with some power, but all power. That we may place our faith, our hope in you. And you never fail. Even when we're hurting, Lord, you never fail. When we're tired, you never fail. Let us walk away with that understanding, Lord, that we may place our hearts in you and that we may have a heart that look at this broken world and have the compassion, Lord, that your son had, that we do the work of him who have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Amen.